Hey, what's up, everybody? Welcome to another episode of the Better Leader Podcast. Today, we have with us a special guest, my friend, Andrew Albritton, and we're going to be talking about public speaking and how you can become a better communicator. Andrew, tell us a little bit about yourself, how you got into uh, kind of public speaking and what you do. Sure. So I studied at Missouri State University, where you went to. Go Bears. And that's right. That's right. And I did an individualized major. And then after that, I came back and did a master's degree in communication. And then after the master's degree in communication, I decided to keep studying communication. And I went overseas to the University of Nottingham in the UK. And I studied English applied linguistics, which is kind of like language in action. Moved back and started working in the business college at Missouri State. And so it's been fun to study communication and then have a job that is focused on communication. And then in my extracurriculars, I'm often teaching as well. I do a little bit of consulting, also teach at church. And so, yeah, I'm, I'm thinking about communication all the time, and I'm communicating all the time for work and, like I said, yeah. for, my, for my outside stuff that I do at churches or, or helping out uh, with organizations. Yeah, Andrew's one of my favorite uh you know, speakers to listen to and uh, also person to have conversations with. And a little tease, next month's episode is actually going to be Andrew and I having a discussion about conversation skills and why that matters as a leader. But today we're focusing in on public speaking, communicating to crowds of people. So Andrew, um, tell me a time, we we were talking about this, of embarrassing moments you've had when you've been like uh, speaking publicly. Yeah. Oh yeah. There, there are lots of them. <laughs> Some of them we can't share right now, you know. But one that comes to mind immediately is this. Uh, it's been a couple of years now, and I had a student in class who knew my wife and me outside of the classroom, and she was taking the class as a communication class. And I was giving my day one intro to myself. And I hadn't quite got to my personal life yet. I usually do introduce and say, hey, this is a little bit about my personal life as well as my credentials and my teaching and research and so on. And so uh, I hadn't got to that yet. And this young lady raised her hand wanting me to talk about my wife because she loves my wife very much. And she raises her hand and her way of spurring me to talk about Steph, my wife, is she raises her hand, she goes, are you married? And of course, everyone in the room has no idea. Right. They don't know who this person is. They just think there's a random 20-year-old saying, to her professor, hey, are you married? <laughs> and so I was in a moment where I was just like, uh, I, I truly didn't know what to do. Right. I'm rarely, as you know, at a loss for words. But in that moment, I was like, and so I just said, I've just got to explain this entire scenario to everyone in the room. I said, okay, pause everybody. That's so-and-so. She knows me. She knows my wife. She knows that I'm married. She's wanting me to talk about my and So I like explained the whole thing. <laughs> and this is the first day, so I'm kind of off my game at that yeah, point. Yeah, that knocked um, you off. But with that said, everyone thought it was hysterical. So it was actually a good way to start because it kind of diffuses that first right. day tension in the room. We had a laugh together. It was pleasant. Yeah. So it was all good. But no, there was that moment of being like, what do I do right now? It's like, how do I, how do I ring, you know, bring yeah, this back in? Right. How, do I, how do I get this back And here? so the, what I just chose to do is explain everything that was going on right there in the room. And like I said, people yeah. thought it was hysterical. And it gave me a story to tell that I think is funny, too. Well, and we have those moments as speakers. Like, I think that sometimes people think, like, oh, you're, you're such a good communicator. Nothing ever happens to you. And it's like, I've messed up oh. so many things. Oh, uh, man. You know, and, and we'll talk about that, by the way, because the difference between a pro or someone who's just done it a lot yeah. and someone who hasn't is the people who haven't done it a lot, they very often get really upset about little errors or get really upset about going blank. Mm -hmm. And I'm like, listen, if I have a day where I lecture for five hours, 
I'm going to go blank and have little mess-ups all day, nearly. Well, maybe not go blank, but I'm going to have little mess-ups. And I'll go blank a few times during the day and have to go back to my notes or something. And the difference between me and, and someone who's just starting out as a public speaker is I don't care. This is just something that happens, right? Whereas you get the amateur speakers who are like, oh, I really messed up. And they'll even say out loud, they'll say, like, I just went blank. <laughs> and so I tell them, hey, don't say I went, no one knows yeah. you went blank. Just go look at your notes and get yourself back on track. And so, anyway, yeah, yeah. Yeah, and so that kind of takes us into what uh, our conversation is going to be about. And so, if we're talking to someone who they're, they're wanting to become a better communicator, yeah. what would you say, hey, this is where you need to start at? You, yep. you want, you're, you know, you're going to have a job where you're going to be speaking in front of people at something you want to challenge yourself with. Where, where would you start? You do a lot of coaching, a lot of teaching about this. Where would yep. you point somebody? That's a great question, and it's the right question to start with. And the answer is simply this, audience orientation. So if we're going to boil it down to two words, one term, audience orientation, that is who is your audience, whether it's one person or whether it's a thousand people or more, whatever the audience is, who's the audience, what do they need? What do you have that you can offer this audience? What do they want? And, and thinking about the audience. Now, here's the problem. As people, we want to be impressive. We're concerned with how we're going to be perceived primarily. And we've got to flip that mental habit of thinking, okay, what are they going to think of me? And so we write our speeches, we write our papers and so on to be impressive, as opposed to thinking about what does the audience actually need? What do they want? What do I have that can help this audience, whether I'm just having a conversation with somebody or speaking to a large group? And so audience orientation, thinking about the audience first and foremost, and thinking not, how can I be impressive? How can I be perceived well? But thinking, what do I have to offer? And how can I offer it most effectively? How can I be clear to this audience? How can I uh, help them stay engaged and give them information that will actually help them in their lives in some way? And so, like I said, the temptation is always to be like, okay, I want to look good. I want to sound good. I want to have a certain perception of myself, et cetera, et cetera. And ironically, when we're focused on that, we're focused on the wrong thing. And we're not going to do a very good job. Whereas when we focus on the audience, have that true, pure audience orientation, or as pure as we can make it mm. as people, when we have that, we end up giving good information, giving it clearly. We are often more enthusiastic because we know we're helping someone and helping other people is something that's naturally energizing and naturally makes us feel good. And so we offer something that's helpful to the audience. And then, like I said, ironically, when we focus on the audience, we are perceived as better as a result of that because we're giving the audience something that will help them in their lives and, and generally doing it in an enthusiastic, dynamic way. Yeah, that's an interesting starting point. I, I, I think that I know that to be true. I don't know that I've ever called that like an, an audience orientation, right? Yep. But thinking through what it is that they need. And uh, I love it. It reminds me of something. Um, uh, I, there's a pastor I love. His name's Bruce Garner. He always says this. He says, nobody cares. <laughs> right. And it, it's, it's so true, right? <laughs> yeah. Like, I mean, people care, right? But right. like, nobody cares. When you talk about the small slip-ups or, you know, yeah. man, what are, what's everyone going to think about me as a speaker? It's like, man, they're wanting, they're, they're going to appreciate you adding value That's right. um, to them. And so I do think about that often is that like, nobody right. cares. You make it into a bigger deal than what it is. And really what you should be focusing on is, man, how can I add value uh, exactly. to my audience? That's right. And He's completely correct. And I say that same thing when I teach public speaking, by the way. I say, I say, listen, students get upset about stumbling over their words because often they'll, they'll stumble over their words and then rather than just going on, we all stumble over our words constantly. That's not, that's not something that throws anyone off. But rather than just going on, they do this. They go, blah, 
or they, or they draw attention to these little errors. And I'm like, if you don't draw attention to that error, I promise you, no one cares. But if you start drawing attention to your errors, saying things like I went blank or something like that, then people do care. And again, so the focus is what can I add to this audience's life? How can I contribute something? Sure. And like I said, that'll get you energized when you start thinking about others first. And not only will it get you energized, you will be more likely to give them helpful information. You'll be perceived better. It's win, win, win all the way down. So I, I think about this in terms of speaking, uh, you, you know, in wanting to become a better communicator. What is, so starting with that orientation is, is yeah. huge, but how does someone get better? You know, yeah. how, how, how did you become a better communicator? Because communicator that you are today was not who you started as. Right. How, how have you been able to improve as a communicator? I'm afraid I only have the boring answer to this question, which is you just do it. <laughs> you just have to do it all the time. I watch these lectures and podcasts about writing. You know, I'm always trying to be a better writer. Writing is mm. one of my favorite things to do. And again and again and again, the same answer is you've just got to write all the time. Like that's, and, and read all the time, basically. And it's the same thing with communication, with public speaking. I listen to a lot of good public speakers and watch a lot of lectures from high-performing academics. And then I speak often. And that's really what does it. And you just have to be willing, again, I know this is so boring and cliched, but it's just the truth. The reason it's boring and cliched is because it's true and reiterated. Um, you just do it a lot, and you learn from mistakes, and you keep going. And what that means is you do have to look for opportunities to get out there and, and get yourself in front of people. And so I tell people who are going into careers that will involve public speaking, hey, while you're in college, while you're in high school, whatever, Look for opportunities to get in front of people because you're going to get more comfortable. And as you become more and more comfortable, you're going to get better. And so, yeah, it's just, it's just doing it, honestly. But then I also want to point out that I studied communication and linguistics hard. Um, and I learned a lot through that study. And so, I mean, it's, it's not only the practice. It's also the theory of getting books and articles and reading as much as possible about overcoming anxiety, something that I've dealt with, something that's very real for most people. Anxiety in terms of speaking. Speaking anxiety. Speaking about, okay. The technical term in the communication world is communication apprehension. And, of course, that can happen in any circumstance. People have communication apprehension about one-on-one -on -one conversations or about speaking to a small group or speaking to a large group. Um, and so you can have that communication apprehension. I've had it in a number of ways. And so I was able to read about it and learn about it and overcome those things um, to some degree, although I still deal with it, let's yeah. be honest. Um, but, but, yeah, so there's this element of just practice get yourself in front of people. And I started teaching in front of people, I would say, regularly when I was about 21. So I'm 37 now. So, you know, we've got a, many years now of doing this. Sure. And, and again, it was irregular when I was starting because I was just teaching at church, stuff like that. And, um, and then, like I said, the last eight years, speaking regularly through the week. And um, that, that's really what does it. But So you got to get out there. You got to do it. And you've got to have a willingness to study hard, too. And I know not everyone's going to get a master's degree and a PhD in these things. But there's lots of great books out there that you can read that will make you better. Yeah, I think about, man, I have had the opportunity to speak in some unique environments. Sure. I've done everything from elementary PE to, right. you know, speaking on a stage. Yep. And whether it's like emceeing or a, a wedding or all those different things, I've yep. said yes to a lot of different opportunities. Yep. And each one of those is unique. Like yep. your audience is different. That's right. And all of those settings. Yeah. But 
each one of those, I, I think a lot of times people see the public speaker that is speaking for 30 to 40 minutes and just totally captivating their audience. And they're yeah. like, that's, that's what I need to start doing. Right. But what has helped me perhaps to be better in those environments was the, all the small little micro speaking opportunities, totally. whether it was to a class or it was to a, a staff or man, there, I, there's just so many times where I think what actually be uh, like yields the biggest result is the small little speaking opportunities. That's a great so, point. That's um, a great point. And you learn so much if you just speak for five minutes or two minutes, literally. One of the things you might learn, for example, is that whenever you get in front of a, good, a group of people, this isn't just me, this is established in the studies and the literature related to public speaking, is you get really nervous beforehand, usually. And then you get up there and you get going. And for most people, they calm down a little bit. And they even start to feel really good as they go. And you, that can happen whether you're speaking for two minutes or two hours. And so you can kind of learn and tell yourself, oh, wait, I feel this way right before I start. But very soon, I'm going to get in my flow and I'm going to feel good. And just that knowledge of what's mm -hmm. coming is, is a huge deal. And so these, these little experiences along the way can teach you things like that. And you're so right. I mean, getting out there and just doing a little bit at a time. Like I said, I, I think my true teaching career, so to speak, I wasn't getting paid at the time, started with 10th inning kids, a baseball ministry that we had at High Street, coaching baseball for children. And then we had a devotional time. And so the first time I think I was ever really teaching, so that was actually before I was 21. That was like 19. I was a teenager. And I was teaching a devotional to the kids. And the parents would gather around, too. And it was a really interesting thing, teaching kids and their parents for a few minutes. And that was it. And that's where it started. And then from there, a couple of years later, it's like, okay, I'm going to do something a little longer, devotional or something like that here or there. And then we're, we're off to the races. But you're, you're so right. I mean, that's such a good observation. Doing a little bit can teach you a lot. And uh, you brought up sports, Andrew, so yep. I'm going to go there. Sure. But we have strong opinions on this, yep. and you and I have talked about this, that I, I was thinking about this today, actually, is before we, we record, is like, if you were a basketball player yep. and you never scrimmaged, right. all you ever did was just go to the gym and shoot around, right. and then you went to a game and thought, I'm going to be this is going to be, I'm ready to go. Like right. This is, I'm going to go out there and execute exactly the way I wanted to. You would never do that, right? We don't Correct. see that in music, in sports, in yep. whatever. There's this, I think that that's what a lot of people miss in communicating. And you and I have talked about that, yep. is rehearsing and practicing Big beforehand. Time. Break that down. Yeah. So, perfect analogy. You may sink every three. Let's say you, well, you won't sink every three. Let's say you sink 19 out of 23s at the Y during the week when you're practicing, right? And then you're making 18 out of 20 free throws, right? You're, you're just like, you're killing it as you go and, and, and shoot around, right? And maybe even you're doing that with a friend or something like that. Okay. Now you go and play and you're guarded when that happens. Completely different situation, mm -hmm. right? Right. And you, you've got to actually practice the thing that you want to be good at, not some halfway there practice. And so what I've discovered in my own life and now in my students' lives is that when it comes to public speaking, very often we don't rehearse a given talk. What students do, and I know this because they've told me this and because I did it to some degree, is they make up notes of what they want to say and they just look at their notes and they try and get it in their head. And to them, it's a studying game like they're studying for a test. And maybe they sit on their bed and they mumble it out loud to themselves a few times and just kind of go over it. That's not good enough. That's equivalent to what you described. It's equivalent to just shooting baskets. It's, it's, not, it's not the same thing. Actual rehearsal of a talk is standing up, if you're going to be standing up during the talk. It's, it's having the posture that you'll have during the talk. 
It is using the same vocal level that you'll have during the talk. And of course, in a dorm, that's pretty awkward. I get that. I mean, you know, it, but you've got to do Nobody cares, it. right? Nobody cares, right? I mean, th- here's the deal. You, you're doing what it takes to succeed. Do you want to be embarrassed or, or do you want to avoid embarrassment or do you want to succeed, right? Um, unfortunately, I think for us, a lot of the time, we just want to avoid embarrassment. But still, we should want the other. We should want to be excellent. Uh, but no, you've got to stand up, use the appropriate posture that you intend to use, move your body the way that you expect you'll move your body whenever you speak, use the same vocal level, etc., cetera, and, and go through it. And another big point, and I learned this actually in my public speaking class many, many years ago now, actually, um, 17 years ago or something, but it's, it stuck with me. If you mess up when you're rehearsing, keep going pretend that you're in front of an audience and you've just got to keep going. In other words, that's an actual rehearsal. If you're allowing yourself a restart, you're not quite rehearsing. You're still not actually doing what you need to be practicing. And so, yeah, no, practice is key. It's, it, and, and use one analogy. Let me use another one. Um, because whenever we speak about these things, uh, good communication principle, examples really help. My example that I like, because I'm, I'm not into sports as much. I'm more of a nerd, as you know. My wife's really the sports person. But the example I give is piano. Uh, to me, the equivalent of not saying your speech out loud in rehearsal is the equivalent of looking at the music and moving your hand over the keyboard rather than actually playing the piece as you practice. And so you, you've got to actually do what you want to be good at multiple times. And so notice there's two levels of practice that I'm talking about right now. There's the level of practice of the practice of the given speech that you want to give. So you want to practice this speech and know it and have said it and have a muscle memory even of having said all this stuff out loud. I usually go for five times out loud actually before for, for, a, for a high a high-pressure formal scenario. I'm, I'm aiming for five times. At, at, at that fifth time, I know it pretty well, and I've got kind of a, a natural flow that's going to persist. It's not the same every time, by the way. It's not a memorization or recitation, but I just know the beats at that point. I can give it. But that's, that's one level of practice, rehearsing a given speech to the point that you've just got it down. The other practice is actually getting in front of people, right, which is the practice of public speaking as a general skill, and both are necessary. It's right. We've got to have practicing of an individual speech, and then we've got to have practice to be getting better as a communicator in general. So again, I know this is just what everyone says about everything, but there's a reason for that. It's true. You've just got to do stuff if you want to be good at it. So as you become, you've become more expert at it, has your um, rehearsing and your practicing changed? When you're, say, for instance, you're speaking at six different things in a week, which is not unheard of for Correct. you. You've got yep. classes, you're speaking on a weekend. That's right. Does the rehearsal process change for you? At this point, it does, because a lot of the time, I'll have a lecture that I've given for several years now, so I don't rehearse it. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I don't rehearse it. I'm thinking of, like, in the fall, a super busy speaking week for me was this. I did my normal le- lecture schedule during the week. I did a retreat on Friday and Saturday, and then I did Sunday morning, Sunday school. And so I had, and, and the retreat had four speaking times over the two days. And so that was a lot of hours of talking that week, right? And so for that one, I, I rehearsed a little bit less now than I, than I did in the past, basically, because I, I just, I, frankly... I'm at a point now where I don't need to rehearse it as much. However, if I'm going to speak to a thousand people, I'm going to rehearse that a lot. Not, again, notice, because I'm concerned about how I'll appear. I'm, I'm almost over that. I'm not. I'm a human. Of course, I, I like to be thought of well and so on. But it's like I, I really care more and more. If I've got a, this, this huge audience here, I want to make sure um, 
that what I'm saying and how I'm saying it is going to meet as many people as possible. Mm-hmm. Does that make sense? Because if, yeah. you've got, if you've got it's a, a huge more group, complex, yeah. it's, it's a more complex thing, and I need to actually say it out loud and hear it a few times and tweak it as I go along, right? So it kind of depends on the scenario, I've got to say. Yeah. In the lecture hall, I made rehearse zero. Like for the retreat, I was using things that I taught at a different context. And so I, I kind of was reviewing it a little bit. And th- but, but for like a Sunday morning at, at church, the church that we go to, um, that, that I'm going to rehearse a lot more because it needs to be tweaked a little bit to make sure I'm going to connect with as much of the audience as possible. Um, yeah. So. And, and, and I think for, for me, like I said, I've done it longer now. Yeah. I've learned to know what things I do need to rehearse. If I'm, yeah. if I'm speaking about something I've never spoke about before or it's like there's even simply down to there's hard things to pronunciate. I'm Absolutely. using someone's name who is right. foreign and I need to practice saying that. Yes. I've learned I need to rehearse those things. And I would give the example of I do some weddings. Yep. I don't really rehearse weddings anymore because I follow a similar template yep. um, for them. But when I first started, that was one of the hardest things I could do because it was all transitions in speaking, which is one of the hardest things. Totally. But, uh, also, too, sometimes the pressure doesn't just come from the audience size, but you're in a new environment. And so that can kind of dictate. I probably, for me, get more nervous when I'm speaking in an environment I've never spoken before. Whether I'm speaking to five people, 10 people, or 500, if I haven't been somewhere before, uh, it takes. I need to be a little more settled. I need to know my content even better because I'm going to be a little bit more More nervous. nervous. Anything to add to that? Yeah, no, no. What you just said is perfect. I mean, Contexts vary. You know yourself. So, I mean, knowing yourself is a, is a vital first step in any kind of growth, of course. You've got to know yourself. So, what makes you nervous? Okay, when you're going into those circumstances, you need to rehearse more. You need to be ready. I'm, now, my most nerve-wracking situation outside of huge speaking engagements, of course, I, everyone gets nervous if you're going to have a lot of people looking at you. Um, weddings make me super nervous, actually, because these are moments that, like, you know everyone's going to remember for the rest of their lives type of thing. There's, there's multiple people in this room who are going to remember all of this for the rest of their life. A Sunday morning. Okay. Can I tell you a story? The Please first do. wedding Please I, do. The first wedding I ever did, yeah. I pronounced the groom's name wrong whenever I announced him the first so, time. So are they, are they not legally married? They are, <laughs> they, they are legally married. I believe so. I think we, yeah. we, we uh, rectified the situation. But it was just like one of those things where it's like, what am I going to do, never do a wedding again now? Because right. I messed up once. But yeah. it happens. You're going to make mistakes. You are. And, I mean, it's just one of those things, like I said. And, but, uh, you know, if you, a lecture probably no one's going to remember this, right, unless something crazy happens. Uh, even a Sunday morning or something, it's not not a big deal. But, like, is that a wedding? It's just there's, there's this knowledge that everything that's happening in here <laughs> is going to be remembered um, by some people. A so lot for people you, won't. that makes you more a little... That, you, that makes me a little bit more nervous. Setting, so, yeah. so I have notes that are very precise on my tablet that I'm going to use, and I stick really close to them. I don't allow myself the leeway that I allow myself in the classroom where I can just talk about anything. And I don't allow myself the leeway that I have even teaching the Bible or something. I, I allow some room there to go off script. If I'm doing a wedding, I know it's like, okay, I need to stay on script here because I am a little bit more nervous in this scenario. So, And it, again, it's it's knowing your audience. And so exactly. I would imagine people who uh, are listening to this are obviously wanting to improve in yep. some capacity at communicating. Yep. Say they've already been doing it. Okay. There's someone like you or me for uh, over a decade or yep. so, um, perhaps even more than that, they've yep. been communicating. Sure. How can they recognize, number one, 
how can they get better? Yeah. And the second thing is, is what is like a piece of advice you would give them to get 5% like yeah. more out of their speaking? So wh- how, how can someone who's been speaking, communicating for yeah. a while, recognize, hey, I need to improve this? Because we all have things we can oh, improve. Yeah. Oh, yeah. And then the second part of that is like, what's that, that piece of money advice you'd give where it's like, this will get you another 5%. Okay. Another great question. This is where we really get into it here, okay? There are three fundamentals of good communication that we can all be improving at all times. So I'm going to give you all three and just work through them really quick. Okay. We can all be more clear. Clarity is something we all aspire to, but we could all improve. We could all be more focused, right? Um, focus is something we all aspire to, but we could all improve. And we could all demonstrate goodwill better, Dem- demonstrate goodwill to an audience better. All things that we could be improving significantly and, and like we'll never be perfectly clear focused and and demonstrating goodwill like there's always room there so let me work through each of those real quick and so you said one piece of advice i'll give you a few here perfect um that's what i like to do you know give you are you're a teacher you, you so know, you, you know, know you can answer a question however you want <laughs> right so clarity why is clarity so hard we all know we want to be clear speakers right why is clarity so hard it's hard because of something called the curse of knowledge we have a general assumption, again, this is established in psychological literature, we have this kind of, it is a cognitive bias that the people around us know what we know roughly. The people around us know what we know. If we have certain facts ingrained in our minds, we presume subconsciously or consciously that other people have those same facts ingrained in their minds. So let me give you a quick example of this. I use this one with permission. My dad called me once and said, hey, your mom's gallbladder's probably going to have to come out. I was like, oh. And of course, I'm not a physician. I'm like, is this, is this like a serious thing? And he said, well, not really. He said her ejection fraction's about 0.97. Her ejection fraction's about 0.97. And of course, <laughs> I'm thinking to myself, I'm like, dad, I don't know what a gallbladder is. <laughs> you know what I mean? I mean? It's a squishy thing somewhere around here, all right? Um, but it's I'm not sure there. what a gallbladder is. It's in there somewhere. Yeah, it's in there somewhere, and some people have them taken out. I certainly don't know what an ejection fraction is. And then, of course, that means I don't know what the actual ratio he gave me, a 0.97, means. So it's a perfect example of someone. My dad's one of the smartest guys I know. He's, he's also wise. He's shrewd. He's a practicing physician for many years, well-respected. But the curse of knowledge got him. Something that's an ingrained part of the way he thinks. He was assuming that I knew all of this stuff. Does that make sense? So yeah. we all do that in our own ways, whether it's just talking about things that we like a lot, like talking about movies or something like me. I may use a term or something that most people don't know, just because to me it's, it's, a, it's common knowledge, and I assume it's common knowledge to other people. And so all of us have this, and as public speakers, we make this subconscious assumption that the people around us know what we know. And I, I reiterate, this is well established in scientific studies. Because um, some people may think, oh, not me. In fact, I would think that the first time I heard this. But then, no, 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 you do the experiments again and again and again, and you start watching your life, you're going to see the curse of knowledge manifest, where you're saying things that just people don't know. And so that's one of the huge impediments to clear communication is the curse of knowledge. So how do you overcome that? To put it very simply, you, first of all, put yourself in the audience's shoes as far as you can, and then, if at all possible, you get feedback from a representative group of that audience. So you let them read whatever you're going to give, or you can even perform it, actually, and give it to them. Um, if it's a report, let them read the report. Like I said, if it's a speech, let them listen to it. Whatever it is, if it's an email that's going to a lot of people, it's a high-pressure um, scenario, and you're sending out an email to a bunch of people, let other people look at the email and say, hey, what does this mean? What does this mean? And you'll catch these things. So. It's, we need feedback before we actually send something out into the world, whether it's with our voice or 
with our computer or on a piece of paper. And so that's how we kind of overcome this clarity problem. We were assuming people know what we know. They usually don't know everything that we know. And we, we don't, we're not just totally clear to them. We know what we're talking about, but they may not. So we got to get feedback. So that's, that's a quick one there with that. Focus. Man, look up sometimes some studies about people leaving a lecture or leaving a Sunday sermon or leaving a talk of any kind. Look up these studies where people are asked, what did you just learn about? And see what people say. Because what do you think? I'm going to a pop quiz. What do you think people often say when they walk out of a half hour, 40 minute, 45 minute talk? And they say, what was that about? Can most people tell you what it was about? Yeah, probably not. I'm usually no. thinking about what I'm going to eat next. Right, exactly. So. so people are like, well, it was, and they give kind of a vague response. They know the topic. Or what it meant to them. Or what know? it meant to them. You know, they, 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 got, they got a little something out of it. There were a couple things they hung on to. They know the topic, but they don't know. <laughs> Like, they don't know the three points. They don't know, like, the, the call to action quite as well as the speaker would want it. Now, the reason, usually, that there's this lack of apprehension on the part of the audience is because of a lack of focus and a lack of reiteration. Mm-hmm. In other words, what is the main idea? As a speaker, we always can be more focused. What are the main ideas here? How can we hone in on those main ideas, and how can we re- reiterate them? Now, I'm sometimes accused in my teaching evaluations on Rate My Professor and so on of kind of repeating myself. You know, I get that. I, get, I always say, I'd rather be annoying repeating myself than have people walk out of this room and not know what I want them to know. Does that make sense? And so I'm always going to err on the side of repetition. Okay, we already talked about this. Now let's move to this. Okay, we talked about this and this. Now let's move to this. Let's talk about what we all just talked about, right? I mean, just again and again and again so that people can walk out of the room and have it in their head, not only on their uh, tablet or in their notes. And so we can always work more on being focused, having main ideas, and learning how to get those main ideas across. And then finally, goodwill. Um, it's, it's important. I'm giving you way longer an answer than you may want. Sorry. Oh, this is perfect. Okay. So goodwill comes generally in public speaking or in writing a report or an email in emphasizing the benefits of what you're sharing. It's not enough to simply share information for most people. You want to share the benefits of what you're sharing, how you've seen it in your own life, how you've seen it confirmed in scientific study, etc. Here are the benefits of what I'm talking about. And then whenever you give those benefits, you are establishing a rapport with your audience. In other words, like, oh, this guy actually cares about me, or at least is pretending to care about me, right? And so there's at least that happening. And then not only that, you're giving the audience a motivation to listen. In other words, if you listen to this, here's what can happen for you. Now, I don't always do this. I mean, I, you know, one way or another, I'm trying to emphasize benefits, but you don't have to literally say, here are the benefits of what I'm going to teach you today. Let me list you seven. Right. Yeah, yeah no, it, you can do it a little bit more artfully than that, or you can do it a little bit more obliquely than that. That is not right on the, the head. But um, in general, you want to emphasize that what you're teaching has a benefit and will help the lives of the people that you're speaking to or writing for, you know, whatever the scenario is when you're communicating. So again, to reiterate, to practice <laughs> what I preach here, mm-hmm. Um, we can all be better with clarity, overcome that curse of knowledge. We can all be better with focus, know exactly what you want the audience to take away, and make sure that you, they know <laughs> that's what uh, you want them to take away. And, and finally, goodwill. What are the benefits to the audience? Make sure that they understand you want them to receive benefits and make sure they know what the benefits are because that's going to establish a rapport and going to motivate them to listen. Clarity, focus, and goodwill. That's I love it. it. Uh, all right, finish on this. Okay. Going back to the communicator, they've been doing it. It's part of their routine, part okay. of their everyday job. Okay. How can they get 5% better? Okay, yeah. 5% better. So, like I said, I, I would return, just, and again, I'll give you a different answer too, but I would return to these, these ideas of um, clarity, focus, and respect. But in particular, I think the way you get 5% better is you, you seek out, if you can, not everyone can, but you seek out legit feedback. 
that's tough. <laughs> because if, so for example, if you're the leader of an organization or the leader of a, of a unit, you can't ask the people that work there to give you feedback. It was make, great. Best thing I've ever heard. That's yeah. what you're going to get. That's what you're going to get. It's just like, oh, I wish, I w you, know, <laughs> you know what you're going to get, right? You're not going to be able to get feedback there. And so you've got to have someone or a group of people you can go to to get some actual feedback um, about what they think. And again, the, getting feedback is not easy because you've got to get the right people who you can trust to give you actual feedback. And then you've got to overcome your own it never, ego. It never feels good. No, it, right? no, it doesn't. It does not but feel good. it is important. It is important. And I've got to say, you know, Getting feedback, you know, I get good feedback from my wife. I'm sure maybe maybe you do too. Um, but but she generally gives me good feedback about like, you know, if if I do two sermons on a Sunday morning, right, back to back, she'll be like, okay, at this point and this point and this point, this happened, and I was like, yeah, good point. <laughs> so then I'll go and I'll rectify it the, the second time around. So I mean, I can trust Steph for good feedback that's gonna that's gonna be honest, that's gonna be actually helpful, and that I know is coming from a good place. And so my ego is not really a part of it. You know what I'm saying? Like I can just receive it and, and apply it. Um, but no, I mean, like I said, you, you've got to go out there and find a, a situation where some, where you're speaking for someone who will honestly give you feedback to help you. And that's going to look different for different people. It may be, you know, joining a club, Toastmaster, something like this, right? You can do something like that. I mean, I get teaching evaluations that are anonymous. So if there's an issue, um, you know, I, I'm going to see it in those. So I have that benefit, but I understand most people don't get some kind of anonymous talking feedback. Um, but no, I, I think you've got to find a way that you're getting honest critique from people um, in your life in some way. And that, that's, that's how you're going to get better. Because it's going to help you with all the things I just talked about, right? Yeah. I mean, that's going to help you not only with overcoming the curse of knowledge, it's going to help you stay more focused. Um, pastor Eddie once, I was, I was ch chatting with him, so he's the pastor of our church. And I'd ask him about one section of a sermon. This is, this is literally 15 years ago. Um, I'd ask him about one section, and he said, he said, you know, that does seem to be turning a corner a little bit meaning it seems to be going off the main flow of ideas. And he said, so I think, I think, yeah, you should drop that. And so he was helping me stay focused. He was helping me not turn a corner and get off right. um, topic. And so, again, good feedback from the right person. That's, that's, that's what I think you just got to have. And, and like I said, it's, it may be tough to find, but it's worth it. Yeah, and if you can find it, they're giving you feedback on, hey, you did this from a simple public, when you put your hand in your pocket, super distracting. That's right. Or your content, like it... Yeah didn't really flow smoothly. Exactly. And, and so with all of that, you're taking it and you're evaluating it right. and, and making decisions to yeah, improve yourself. Yeah, that's right. So. And, and again, not, not all of the feedback you may receive, you may agree with. That's, you know, and yeah, it's, it's like I, I gave an example of that just a moment ago, actually, which was the example of some people say I'm a little too repetitive in the classroom. That's fair enough. I don't actually necessarily disagree with them. I understand that I may be going a little too far, but I, I'm choosing to do that to the point even of being distracting because I would rather be assured that the people who have a little bit more attention difficulty are going to get all this stuff, um, even at the cost of annoying some of the more swift students. Yeah. Yeah. And so, so yeah, like you, have to, you have to be critical in your reception of feedback. But, but like I said, feedback, you know, 5%, shoot, you can get a lot better with, if you've, got, if you've got a good group who will actually talk to you about, hey, this, this, and this, man, alive. You can, you can get some huge improvement with good feedback. And again, in academics, we live in the world of feedback. It's peer review. To get your degrees, you have to be evaluated with exams and with um, defenses. And, you have to, and, and you're, just, you're just criticized into the ground. Um, but it's actually so good. I mean, it's like the most beneficial thing for me in my career was the criticism that I received over the years from my professors. 
And, and one of the greatest evaluation tools is watching video back of yourself. And oh, you, boy. Because we can be, we, yeah. we are, we are hard. Well, I can be a good <laughs> critic of myself sometimes sure. to a fault, but I, that, that really helps me. Yeah. So, Andrew, I, I appreciate you sharing all of this, and I really do believe that it will add goodwill um, to uh, the people who are listening. And if it has, I would encourage you to share this with people and so that they can um, become better communicators. That's something that we all desire. So thanks for tuning in to this episode, and we'll see you all next month as we uh, sit down with Andrew again.